Hello and welcome to the Lanky Guys. The word on the hill is the podcast and my name is Father Peter Masvidal. That was all wrapped up in a nice little package with a bow. I am Scott Powell, and this is our podcast, everyone. Yeah, and, and, um, hey, I found out we're huge in Seattle. We're big in Seattle? Yeah, that's what I just heard that yesterday. Dude, well, shout out to all the people in Seattle. Um, may yeah. you, uh, may you, your socks always dry quickly, and um, your coffee always mm, they, they won't. It's too humid. I know it's so humid out there. Like I can't even believe that they like live like that. I like I think that they're they're like they're kind of all amphibious out there. Well, it's not really as humid as it is just moist. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. It's like amphibious. It's always raining, so they like have gills yeah. and stuff. I heard. But I mean, I could handle that better than I can handle like Mississippi. You know what I'm saying? Dude, I'm talking about yeah. some real humidity. Humidity. I don't even like sitting in saunas. Is the truth of it. <laughs> well, speaking of humidity. No, that's uh, this isn't a good segue. That's um, a terrible segue. But I'm a, I, I, we're we're <laughs> we're recording remotely. So today I am at the um, the uh, new and uh, assigned again pastors workshop. So we're dealing with the um, new large... and recycled pastors. <laughs> yeah, we're doing all the mechanisms <laughs> of bureaucracy, which is good. You know, <laughs> like oh joy. <laughs> I actually kind of, you know, I always hate the sound of going into it, but I kind of like it when I'm here because I kind of like you like things. It, you like it when somebody else is doing it. Yeah. You didn't like leading staff meetings, but you no. like it when other people are leading meetings. No, it's true. I uh, It was really funny. We had this like symposium like last night where they gave us like really complicated pastoral situations and we had to like <sighs> discuss them and present them back to the rest of the community. Oh, and, uh, Lord have mercy. And so I kept on being like super hardcore, like, like, which is totally not how I am. But I I just at one point I was like, okay, everybody, I just have to tell you, I'm really not as hardcore as you all think that I sound right now. Like, really? My goodness. I know you can tell you that you can tell how enthusiastic I'm getting if that's my if that's what I'm doing. Were you trying to like break your stereotype of the the happy go lucky hippie priest in Boulder? No. (laughs) (laughs) okay okay no it's good you you were a mystery wrapped in an an enigma wrapped in a nice homemade um tortilla yes homemade tortilla corn please speaking of homemade tortillas why do you say actually that's that's not a terrible segue hey hey, i know man i'm like i'm i'm a baller dude i know what i'm doing Okay, well done. So it's the 19th Sunday in Ordinary Time. We're still uh, knee-deep in the Bread of Life discourse. Actually, we're like chest-deep in the Bread of Life discourse now. We're pretty deep in. Yes. So, uh, yeah, 19th Sunday of Ordinary Time. Our first reading is coming from 1 Kings, chapter 19, verses 4 through 8. It's the sport of kings, better than diamond rings. rings. Football. Elijah. Elijah. <laughs> okay. Then our responsorial psalm is uh, Psalm 34, verses 2 to mm. 3, 4 to 5, 6 to 7, 8 to 9, with our responsicle coming from 9a. A psalm of David. <laughs> our second reading is coming from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 30 through 5, verses two, 5, verse 2. Take that. Okay, yeah. Okay, that I I'll take it, man. I'll 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 take me some Ephesians. What do you want, man? Did you have do you have beef with that? Do you sound like you want to counter me? 
Well, no, you, you, the way you said it, it sounded like you said 435 to verse 2, and it was not that. But then I just was like, no. that's a detail. I'm just going to let it go, man. <laughs> I don't let you let anything go. That's how I roll. <laughs> Dude, do not. Um, today is St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, also known as um, mm. um, Edith, Stein. Edith Stein. And one of her quotes is this, is um, uh, if there is, uh, do not accept truth if there's no love. And do not accept love if there is no truth. Something along those yes, lines. Yes, because both of them lead to destructive lies or something like that. It's a great quote. Yeah. Too bad I can't get it right. Dang it. That's like my whole I feel like that's my whole life. Yeah. No, that's not true. Okay, I almost that's... I almost affirmed that, but it's not true. <laughs> you don't be self deprecating. It's not we don't have time for this. Nobody's got All right, time our, for that. Did you say the gospel yet? No, our gospel is uh is the gospel of John, chapter six. Surprise, verses forty one to fifty one. <laughs> forty one fifty one. Okay, so I have okay, so you I I already acknowledged to you prior to the podcast that I am in a melancholic mood today because the uh, the world the world is dark and there are crises in the church and I'm trying to understand what what's going on and I I probably spend too much so I know part of my job is being ready to answer questions that parishioners and students and people have but sometimes I get too deep in and I'm you know there's just there's things are dark in the church and there's messes and scandals and lies and wars and rumors of wars and death penalty debates and it's just everything's just kind of out of control which um I, I don't want to spend our time talking about the scandals and about all the horribleness but but it for me and this is just me coming from where i'm coming from today it frames first kings for me in a weird way so here's what i here's what i want to say about first kings um this is this is smack in the middle of where the catholic tradition gets one of our very uh rich prayer traditions right um, this this uh, idea of the three stages of the interior life, if you've heard of that. It was uh, expounded upon by St. Bonaventure and the Franciscans and the Carmelites especially. But this this idea yeah, that... I, and, and I actually think that the, the Mass actually is based on the three stages of the spiritual life because you have the pur- purification, illumination, and unity. So those are the kind yep. of three stages. And so we have that mirrored in, in the Mass, which I think is powerful and profound. I thought you said math. Yes, the mass. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Huh. So, so the homily is the purgative stage, right? No, no, no. It, it really just depends on if they're a lanky guy listener or not, really. Um, <laughs> we won't say which way our opinion on that sways. Okay, but, but here's the thing. Um, so it's this – Elijah's a weird – He's not a weird figure, but he's such a fascinating figure because he is considered the greatest of the prophets in a lot of ways. He's the one that appears in the transfiguration, right? Represents the prophets. But he's living in the northern kingdom in this incredibly dark time for Israel when the northern kingdom had uh, abandoned Jerusalem and the temple and the worship of the one true God and had gone their own way and followed kings who were out for their own gain and followed other gods and other priests and just things were a disaster. And Elijah is moving through the world, basically trying to find any scrap of remnant that he can to show people back to the one true God of Israel. Um, And he is consistently feeling utterly defeated and utterly alone. What's interesting about this moment from 1 Kings 19 that we get, it comes right after what is on the face of it, probably Elijah's greatest public achievement, 
right? So this this scene comes right after he just did the whole thing. So part of his mission is to go. He, he's often compared to John the Baptist in a lot of ways. He's the one who is preparing the way for someone greater than he is. He, he speaks truth to a king that wants to kill him. Uh, it, it's Herod and John the Baptist's time, Ahab and um, Elijah's time. But um, this scene comes right after, remember that famous scene where he goes and he challenges King Ahab and all the prince of Baal, these false gods. And he's like, all right, guys, let's go see who God, whose god is more powerful, right? right. And it was that whole scene. They're like, okay, let's set up some altars here. You set up your altar to Baal. I'll set up my altar to Yahweh. And we're going to have our gods call down. We're going to call down fire right. and see whose god is is responds. And, you know, it's where he he's making fun of the priests of Baal. And he's like, maybe your god's in the bathroom. Or maybe yeah, yeah. He maybe he's on a trip vacation. Yeah. Like he's totally, and, which is, which is actually really kind of not appropriate. And, and I think that it's the part of the, part of the thing that happens yes, is that yes, he, yes. Kind, he kind of has to go through a, a purge to understand that even though he's a prophet of God and he has a specific mission of God, he doesn't have to be a big fat jerk about the whole thing. And, but he, and, that's a hard lesson to get to. Yes, because what what has, and then he has the whole, he like douses his altar in all these buckets of water and makes gravy and three God's times. totally victorious three times threes again, and God rains fire down and everyone's like oh my gosh this is crazy and you know imagine you're Elijah you've just done this huge public um, proof that Yahweh is God and shamed all of your enemies and made everyone look like fools, and yet. It doesn't do what you get the impression yeah. he probably built this up of like, this will show everyone. This will finally do it. Now, finally, people will understand. And nobody does. It's it's not this, you know, they all walk away in shame, but it's not like he's flocking with converts and all these people who are like, oh my gosh, Elijah, you were right. And so Elijah is kind of thrown into this tailspin of like, well, I did all the things. I was kind of a jerk about it. I don't know to what degree he recognizes that, but he was a jerk about it in a certain sense. Well, and killed, what does he do? He he's like, well, priest of Baal too. He killed like, all the priests. Yeah. Like he it's did, pretty he ugly. Committed a, a mass murder. I mean, like it's, like, it's all pretty it, ugly. It's very, it's very horrendous. And so he went to Broom Tree and sat beneath, and he says, "Lord." Well, wait, whoa, 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 hold on. Before no, before you get there, wait a second. So where, where do you think he's going? Because I find this very interesting. He goes out into the into the desert and he finds this broom tree. But where is he headed? Do you remember? Into the desert. Where though? It says at the end of our reading. Horeb. What is Horeb? Do you do you remember? Horeb has two names in the Old Testament. Isn't it the where Moses, uh, where uh, the Ten Commandments came from? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's probably Sinai. So I wonder, so that's where he's headed. And part of me wonders, he's like, you know what? I don't get it. I don't understand. I'm trying to do the right thing. Maybe I shouldn't have killed all those guys. You know, I don't, but it's just this moment of like, every nothing makes sense. Everything is topsy-turvy. No one seems to be doing what's right. I'm alone in this. And maybe I'm doing the wrong things. Like every, nothing makes sense to him. So what does he do? He's like, well, I will go back to the beginning. I will go back to the start of all this. I'll travel back to Sinai. That's where God first spoke to our people. That's where Moses received the law. Maybe if I go back there, I can get some kind of insight. There, there's something spiritually profound and important and beautiful about those confusing times of our life of kind of going back to the beginning. Right. Okay, I don't understand what God is doing in my life. <clears throat> I want to go back. Let's go back to the beginning of the story and kind of see if God has something for me there. That's why I, I wonder if uh, Elijah's going there. He's headed to Sinai. And on his way there, he sits beneath the broom tree and he's like, all right, kill me now. That's it. I, I just want to die. 
I'd take my life because I'm no better. And and like you said, it's here that you do kind of wonder, like, it's is he in total despair because he feels alone and nobody's listening to him? Or is there also that recognition of, like, I don't know how to do this. I killed all these guys. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. But I'm totally lost. So just let me die because I'm as bad as everybody else is. And what's fascinating is then even, this angel comes. Even, oh, go for it. Even, even, if, even if it was justified, honestly, like, like yeah. you, you watch how much uh, post-traumatic stress that our mm. soldiers come back from uh, in, yeah. in fighting real enemies in a real way. And, they're, yeah. and, and the toll it takes on the heart to take another person's life it is profound, even, even yeah. in just circumstances. And so, so yeah, so like yes. it's complex. So he, he's feeling religious isolation. He's feeling the, the stress and the, the trauma of, of what just went down and, and, and without conversions. And so, yeah, he's going yeah. back to Horeb. I mean, which is kind of a Jesus-like expression. Like Jesus goes back yes. to uh, to Jordan to hear his affirmation. Like, yeah. I, th- I think this is an essential movement of the spiritual life. Is you say, okay, hold on, where did I know that I was loved? Where was it okay? Yeah. And 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 for him, right. he's really embodying the nation. And like, so he's going back to Horeb. That's really profound, actually, is to say this is where I knew I was okay. It's a guess, but I think it's I think it's intriguing. It is intriguing. Um, but here's what else is intriguing to me. So he's, I mean, I, I don't know what his original intent is because he gets to this broom tree and he just wants to die. And an angel appears, which is not an everyday occurrence, right? We kind of, it's Bible times and there's angels everywhere. No, I mean, this is a big deal. An angel came to him and ordered him. I like the wording there is fascinating. The angel came and ordered him to get up and eat. And he saw this tortilla, this earth cake was sitting there in a jug of water. Which, and he ate which, and he drank and he laid down. I have, we, in case you're wondering what a hearth cake is. Um, the, the, the word, uh, in the Septuagint is barley. So it's, it's a barley cupcake. Cake. Oh, I thought it was a cupcake. That's the, the NIV translation. It says it, there was a cupcake and a jug of water. <laughs> no, no it it, I was kidding. A I cupcake like, and, a, and a jug of high C. <laughs> that's the youth ministry. <laughs> that's the edition. good, the good news Bible translation. But I, <laughs> what I think is fascinating is that the angel has to force him to eat because you, you get. I don't know. You got this impression that like, oh my gosh, he goes out. He wants to die. Everything is hard. And then an angel appears and makes everything okay. And now he has food and now he has water and everything is super because God has provided and everything's great. Happy ending. Wrap it up with a tiny bow and everything's nice. But he has to be forced to have the thing that's going to, when what what is the food and drink going to do? It's only going to give him enough energy to keep doing the really hard mission that God has set out for him, which is going to take him to Horeb and he's going to be in the cave and that's where he's going to have the whole, like there was fire and there was wind and there was an earthquake and the Lord wasn't in it and just his insight into the chaos of the world. But God speaks in the small things and you know, there's a beautiful spiritual story we could get into. But the point is that he has to be forced to have the sustenance that's going to get him to continue on this ridiculously hard mission. And I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just struck by that, by how hard this actually is and how this is not a neat, tidy miracle. Oh, he's fed. Everything's super. No, he has to be forced by an angel to have this stuff because he knows that this isn't just going to be the magic cure-all solution. It's actually just going to give him the energy to keep going. Which, um, not to get ahead of ourselves, but I've, well, well, hold on. Yeah, I've been applying. Okay. Yeah, yeah. This is what happens, though, is is I was talking to a, um, a British gal that uh, was off-roading with me the other day. I almost blew the engine on my Jeep because I was being a bonehead and drove into a lake at 40 miles an hour. 
Um, so there was <laughs> that's the old Father Peter we haven't seen in a while. <laughs> I know. And that's so we were there. phenomenal. Okay, so it was crazy. So I, I like drove in, and then the car stalled. And as we got talking, um, uh, she was talking about how she's obsessed with people who survive like traumatic incidences. So like, uh, like she's obsessed with the book Into Thin Air by Krakauer. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so I, I so I, and there is a, there is a part where like humanity can drive itself using its will to like keep going, but like we're we're like stunned at three days of a broken person going. We're but and that's where when we're hearing about this, this is forty days into the desert. This is this is absolutely a miraculous expression. It's not merely just human strength pouring out trying to like get to right. the God of Horeb. It's I mean to the mountain of Horeb. It's really. The Lord's showing his his strength and might. Which, again, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but that says something to me about what the Eucharist is actually for. It's not just the, the feel-good, everything-is-happy elixir. It's actually preparing us for something. Again, mm. more on that in a minute. Well, yeah, and that's what that's why at the end of Mass, in the third uh, section of the unit, after the unit of section, we're sent out to... Mm. Reproduce, yep. but before that, we have to taste and see the goodness of the Lord, which is our responsorial Did, psalm. Are you by any chance open in a Bible to this psalm, like an actual paper Bible? No, I, I'm not, but I could. I can get to my verbum very quickly. The heading, at least what the RSV, the heading of this psalm is just wonderful. It's just, it's just because you know a lot of the psalms like have little. Uh, little titles or little headings before you get into the psalm, kind of putting them in context. Yeah. This is one of the most explicit, okay, here is exactly what the psalm is about, <laughs> that there is. Do you want me to read it to you? Oh, hold on. I think I have what? it in Greek. Of David judge, O Lord, the ones who are doing wrong to me. Hold on. Oh, no. You tell me what the heading is. So it says, a psalm of David when he feigned madness before King Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Which is just, I mean, that's real specific. <laughs> so, so, so David's with this, he's been captured by this Philistine king named Abimelech and he was trying to kill him because he was, he thought he was a threat. And so David feigned being crazy and he was released and his life was saved. You know, all the, David has all these occasions in which like he's got, he saved his life from Saul or Abimelech or somebody else who's been trying to kill him. And he is on the run all the time. And so apparently as tradition says, he wrote this Psalm as he was, this is what's called a Todah Psalm. Um, which means it's the Hebrew word for thanksgiving. And if you were giving thanksgiving to God, you would often offer sacrifice to God. And of that sacrifice, then you would have a feast afterwards. So this is literally, we've been saved. We are okay. Our life is spared to live another day. So taste and see the good. Have some of the feast. Participate in this because we made it another day. We saw the goodness of the Lord. So let's actually celebrate with a meal, with a banquet. Because tomorrow we're going to have to fight again. Does that make sense? Which, yeah, I don't know. I think contextually, that's really fascinating to me. I think contextually, I think that's really powerful. Actually, like that's a, that, that sets a whole another context and an interesting context at that. That's really, that's really beautiful. Because I mean, we we know this. You know, it's like the Lord is going to hear me, and we're going to extol. Yep. But it, it, you know, there is a certain moment where you're like, in I, honestly. Scott, I have to say, sometimes I like it when bad things happen, like like with my Jeep the other day. <laughs> because yeah, all right, 
like we're now sitting in the middle of the lake and it's all kind of dawning on us that we might have to hike out seven miles um, at Ugh. sunset to get home. And I might oh, have geez. to leave my prized Jeep in the middle of a lake. Um, <laughs> and, and, and it's like, you're kind of realizing this. And in a certain sense, it's precisely in that moment that you live mm. in the moment. You have to, you're forced to, you do you? You, 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 there's kind of mm. no option but to say, okay, now I'm going to show up and I'm going to be present. I'm not going to let the forces of what I'm supposed to be doing or what I was doing uh, defeat or control me. I'm going to apply my will and my mind to what's exactly before me and have courage and faith uh, in that moment and, and go through the emotions and the struggles because there's a whole lot of them at that point when you're like oh man you have to face down a lot of experience and and i think that that's why if this is the context taste and see the goodness of the lord it's saying if you get into this very space then you can say okay what he has done and what he will do the lord really is in charge and i can and i can have faith in him and the angel in, of the Lord encamps around those who fear and, and delivers them. Taste this. The blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Be here, mm. you know? Which is interesting because what you're saying is it's almost a paraphrase of what Paul says to the Ephesians in the second reading. Well, let's go. Right? He's saying brothers and sisters. So remember, Ephesians, just again, a tiny bit of context. Ephesus was this place which was this hotbed of a lot of spiritual darkness, a lot of what we would call new agey stuff. Um, spells, incantations, demonic stuff. It was crazyville. And so to them, he says, brothers and sisters, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God for by which you, um, with, with which you were sealed for the day of redemption. All bitterness and fury and anger and shouting and reviling, it must be removed from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another, etc. But that is kind of what God, uh, what you were just saying, right? When you're in the middle of that moment, when you're in the middle of that hardship, you have to kind of put aside all the bitterness, fury, anger, shouting, reviling, and you have to deal with what is set before you, right? Right. And and isn't compassion the experience of, I mean, it means to suffer alongside, to suffer with somebody. And, and so when yes. you suffer with somebody, you forgive one another. And that's where it's like, and he says, as forgiving one another as God has forgiven you in Christ. Jesus came to be compassionate upon us. So that and and he, and and what he could have done or who he is in in a certain sense he just entered into this emergency state of 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 our being and said I'm not going to give up on you and I'm going to suffer with you so that you could become present again and you can go and and do the same for for those who are needing it I mean aren't all our conversions when somebody has loved us well and drawn us deep into the faith about somebody who is willing to suffer something with us usually. Yeah. yeah, usually the the trouble comes the trouble comes when that person I was reflecting on this in my own life in a particular way. The trouble comes when that person who has led us or, you know, been influential in our lives turns out to take a fall of their own. And then what do you do? You know? What happens when oh. that human being who sometimes we put too much trust in what happens when they go off the rails? Then what happens? And that's where, you know, that first line after brothers and sisters, the idea of grieving the Holy Spirit, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, which is what the people of Israel, the people of Israel, it's what we do all the time. You know, this idea that why did you, I, I don't know exactly what Paul means by that. Let me be clear. But what I'm hearing is 
this like, why God, it's not disbelief, right? It's why did you bring me here? This stinks. Why did you call me like Elijah might be thinking to go in front of these people? What are you doing? I hate this. I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. Yippee. I'm glad that you're coming with me, but you're coming with me to a place that I didn't want to go. Right. Which is it, which is something we can fall into. And Paul's like, no, don't fall into that. Don't fall into grieving the Holy Spirit because he's going to give you the grace. He's going to give you the food, the nourishment to actually get you to do the job or, yes. or finish the path or, or complete the journey or whatever that thing is like Elijah's being given. Right. Like Jesus is going to say a little bit later on. But it's tempting sometimes to grieve and be like, why did you let that happen, Lord? Who do you think Dude. you are? How could you? Right. The, the, the I mean, what a potent statement that we just kind of run past. Do not grieve the right? Holy Spirit of God. Now, this is the thing is that there's two ways because you're using it. Not not that we're making the Holy Spirit of God filled with grief, but that we're grieving yep. that there is the Holy Spirit of God. Yeah. And I, again, I don't know exactly what Paul means, but that's how it hit me. Right. And 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 so it's it's saying I'm not a victim. Uh, there's a quote from Dorothy Day, and it goes something along the lines of this. It says, um, "Hope that belief, which um, that inside of every person there is something of God, comes and goes like the tide." So hope that belief hmm, okay. that within each person there is something of God comes and goes like the tide. That, that, that to, to, to have like, like if we're, I'm, I'm, I'm grieving the Holy Spirit of God is I'm saying like those mentors and those people who I trusted in to show me the way of God. Um, mm-hmm. and yet I'm hurt by them. It, it's really, it's really hard to come back and not just say, look how much of a victim I am, I am. but to say right. that even, even in, even in that situation, God who transformed the crucifixion of God into the greatest grace that was ever known can somehow even take the failings of human persons and derive from them real authentic grace. Like, and it's not just, and and that's the anti-victim mindset, which is hard. It's hard to do, especially in a culture that encourages victim mindset. It like that, that's kind of what our culture our culture is really indulgent in right now is look how, look and see how much victims we are. By all these, you know, persons, institutions, structures, rather than saying, no, I'm going to hope that even within these things, there may be there may be something of God. Um, Which is, of course, not to say that there isn't real victim, like there aren't real evils that were done to people and people who have suffered things. That's not what you mean when you talk about the victim. I mean, we, we overindulge in it. But again, that's there's a fine balance between like there is justice that needs to be served for people who have wronged other people. And there are people who have been really hurt. But right. do we stay there? What do we do with it? Wait, just to clarify exactly. I know what you're saying. I, I, I am exactly in the same mentality that you're saying right there. You must accuse. Yeah, yeah. Like like yeah. there can be no forgiveness without accusation. And the, this is the thing is that oh, interesting. it's really – it's really true that we need to accuse that which is unjust. Right. It's, re- it's that, yep, that's yep. not, you don't skip that part. Yeah, right. Exactly. 
You don't just, I mean, this is where our our culture wants to go in one extreme or the other, right? It's either let's just indulge in being victims. Everything is horrible. That's the end. Or we kind of have this other mindset of just suck it up, deal with it, toughen up and, you know, move on. But no, there needs to be things that are really dealt with. And then we really need to get back up and find where God is moving us. But that's where that sweet spot comes of where, where God's grace can lead us. But it's hard. Yes. And I think that this is why Elijah and Ephesians are given to us today, because one is an interior movement and one is an exterior movement. Like, oh, interesting. Because the interior movement of of uh, of Elijah is saying um, I, I like he's he's defeated internally. He just wants to die. He just like he doesn't want to face the obstacles mm-hmm. that are before him internally or externally. And he's just like, yeah. take my life from me. I'm really done. And so it's this internal yeah. moment where he feels like he's even victimized himself. And that's actually one of the most profound difficulties that we have in our lives is when we feel like we are victims of our own sin and and how how we've oh. done our lives. Yeah. Yeah. That's a gosh, that's a good insight. And which and so, takes us oh, to the gospel. Go for it. To the gospel. <laughs> Speaking of victims. Um, that was a bad segue, but people are, people are being jerks. That much is true. Yeah. They're like, they're like name dropping. We're like, we know Jesus. He's the son of Joseph, man. We know his mama. I came down from heaven, whatever, dude. It's funny if you, if you find, no, we had to, we did it. We had to do a rerun last week, so it's not fresh in my brain, but it's funny to watch the progression of things that have happened. Um, so, I mean, if you if you kind of take this whole what John has been preparing us for back, this all started, you know, Jesus, remember, he healed somebody, he was attacked for it, people were really mad, and he went up on a mountain, if you recall, um, which reminds me an awful lot of not just Moses, but of where Elijah was headed, right, to go to that right. mountain to sort of reflect on the difficulties. That's where Jesus is coming from. And he comes down, and then there's that whole scene where he multiplies the loaves and the fishes, and we just have that, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, this is a big deal, this is great. Um, but there's been this progression. Jesus, I think he, he either pointed this out last week, or it's next, I think it's, it was last week, where he's like, well, you know, you can see the downfall of the people, because they first, first they were following him because of the signs. They're like, oh my gosh, you've done miracles. This is really cool. We want to see more magic tricks. And now, even, which is not the right reason to follow Jesus, but even that now has sort of downgraded itself to, now you just want your bellies filled. Like you just want more bread and more fish like I multiplied. So at first you were looking for miracles, which is not the right reason for faith. And now you just want your bellies filled. You, you were just going down um, this this pretty pathetic pipe. And so Jesus is saying, no, you, you don't understand. I'm going to get, this is what God did in the past. And this is how he fed the likes of Elijah and Moses and the people in the, in, uh, in the desert in Israel. But now he says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And the Jew, the, the Jews, he uses that term. Of course, John is a Jew. Jesus is a Jew. This is not an anti-Semitic statement. When John uses that term, it's technical language for the leadership, the religious leaders who are trying to destroy him. And so they've been sort of uh, given this particular designation because now it's not just your everyday folks. These are the Jewish religious leaders who are trying to unhinge what Jesus is doing. 
but it says they murmured and it's it's not a common word in the Greek language <laughs> it's one of my favorites it's called goguzo which almost sounds Italian, right? Goguzo mm-hmm. means to murmur. And you can you can vary. There's some some grammatical variations like dia goguzo, which is used in Exodus. Um, so this is precisely what the Exodus generation was doing. When they went out into the wilderness and they saw all that God had done and they went through the Red Sea and they murmured, they goguzoed, which it's almost onomatopoeic, isn't it? Right? It, it sounds like what it is. You're just gozoing mm. all over the place. Which yeah. they're they're murmuring. They're like, "Ugh, you you can you can feel it's this guttural like, ugh, here is he's saying what we know you. Who do you think you are? We know your parents. We know where you came from, and you're saying you've seen this stuff." Or you know, not that you've seen this, but you you're doing all this stuff, and this is actually when if you if you read it carefully, Jesus puts himself over and above Moses, and he says, "Stop murmuring, stop goguzoing among yourselves. You're goguzoing everywhere, and it's a mess." He says, "No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draw him, and I will raise him on the last day, as is written in the prophets. They will be taught by God." He's paraphrasing Isaiah. Um, where is it? He says, "No, not that anyone." who has seen the father except the one who is from God. He has seen the father. Remember their greatest person, Moses, the lawgiver, the one who was with God. Remember Moses never saw God's face. He only saw God's back. And so Jesus is subtly saying everything that was before is nowhere close to what actually is now. And you know what he's going to say next week is if you guys can't understand this, how are you going to deal with the crucifixion? If you can't understand the food that I'm giving you to give you sustenance, how on earth are you going to handle what is to come? Which is in a certain sense what the angel is saying to Elijah. You have to have this because otherwise you will not be able to handle what is to come. So the Eucharist is this, it is the source and summit of our faith, absolutely. But it's also the, the, um, nourishment that we need to do it. And I was just reflecting on how, and this is, this is a bit confessional and I'm, I'm not proud, but thinking back in Elijah and how the angel literally had to force him to have the food because it's going to be really hard and how intellectually, like I, I get it. I know I make arguments. I give talks about what the Eucharist is. I understand this. So why is it so excruciatingly hard to drag myself to mass? Right. To get the kids to get to mass on Sunday, to try to get to a daily mass, which is so, so much harder than it should be. And then I realized maybe I'm in good company with Elijah. It's he needs to kind of force me to do this because it's really hard. You know what I'm saying? I do. And and, and, I, and I think about the, the context of of where where John is where I think that uh, Jesus is doing this, which I think could actually be at the Great White Synagogue in Capernaum. And so do you think so? Some, I think that I think that looking at the geography, I think that you could argue that that he could be giving this actually in Capernaum at the synagogue. Oh, I can see that. That's that's very much a possibility. Because where would you have the leaders, um, you know, yeah. around the Seer Tiberius? But but what happens is that when somebody's really arguing with you intellectually. And they're really putting forth a serious, like, I'm putting my back and my, I'm putting my heart and my soul into this argument. When somebody's giving that to you, it's really hard to take. Yeah, that's true. This is true. And, and when we go, and even though we know on Sunday that, um, 
that the Eucharist, this bread of life, that this is what puts me in touch with the Father, that, it, in, mm. that intrinsic within it is a demand for our lives because it's, it's a covenant. It's an exchange of persons. Um, right. And so it, it, see, he, say, he says, everyone who listens to my Father and learns from him comes to me. Like, I, th- there, mm. there is this establishment. I, I, I say, whoever believes as eternal life, I am the bread of life. You can do all these other things. You can do all these other things. You can try your very best, but it's right here. And um, we get scared that that might not be true. There's lots of things that we say, yeah. like, um, I, uh, re- am I really in touch with the Father, Lord? Are, are you really going to solve my problems? And then we go to the Eucharist yeah. with all that content in our hearts. We go, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's kind of like, man, did I really screw this up like Elijah? Did somebody else screw this up for me, like this victim mindset? Or... Or like, or Lord, and are you going to be able to deal with what's inside of me and what's outside of me? Because oftentimes that's why it gets hard to go to that mass and it, why it gets hard to go to the bread of life because we, we yeah. wonder, are, are you really going to deal with us? Are you, are you really actually dealing with this, Lord? And it, and it's, it's, it's so easy. I don't know. I was just thinking about this to how to, to you vil- we vilify the people in these stories. We vilify the people who are murmuring forgetting how easy it is to murmur, right? To, to go guzo right. to this stuff and to think, well, I, I believe you, Lord, but man, I certainly wish it was something. Al- <laughs> and we don't, some, we don't even have the, 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 the honesty to say this out loud most of the time. We're like, well, it's cool that you gave us to us in the form of this little disc of bread that tastes kind of like styrofoam, but it really would be nicer if you gave me like a sword or something, you know, like, like give me some lightning bolts to defeat my enemies or something. Like, I'm happy that you've given me this, but this is really hard to see and to understand and to, to trust in because it doesn't look like you. It's so humble. It's so small. It's so... Other than what we expect God to be like. It's so little. You know what I mean? It's so vulnerable. And so we're thankful for it. But we're like, man, is this? And maybe this is what Paul means about grieving the Holy Spirit. Like, yeah, this is cool, Lord. But I certainly could have used something a little more powerful. Not understanding how powerful it actually is because it comes to us in humility, which is what God does. And that's how he works. But you can, uh, I don't know. I Scott, you're giving me an insight into the desires of your heart right now. I could, I could hear, <laughs> hear you. You're like, ah, oh, I want to be powerful. I want to have some lightning bolts, man. I want to defeat evil. Like I could hear it in, mm. in you, and I, and um, and and the, the, which is the right. It's it's like yes. Like how do we trust that the Lord will have vindication? You're like, Lord, if vindication is yours, let me participate a little bit. You know. And he says, then come and eat this. Then come. And right, that's his. That's his forever. response. And right. you'll need you need food for the journey. You need and you'll food live for forever. the journey. because yeah. you're gonna stumble yeah. through the desert. But it's gonna take a lot of humility to put ourselves where we ought to be and not where God ought to be. And maybe that's Elijah's problem. He's like, once they see me doing this, then they will all believe. Not understanding that no, it's not. It's what Jesus says. Nobody comes to the Father. Uh, what does he say? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draw him. It's not about me drawing people in. It's not about Father Peter drawing people in. It's not about Elijah drawing people in. It's about the Father who sent me. He draws them in, period. Right. And to the degree that you get to participate, praise be to God. So eat, your, <laughs> eat this that I've given you and be quiet and let me do my job. And I will <laughs> let you do amazing things because you're faithful and because you're obedient and because you're willing to be small. Right. It's hard words. Uh, 
<clears throat> Dude, that is that is some hard words and and rich rich beautiful words. Hmm. Oh, well, there you go. Well, hey, all of you thousands of people who listen, it is a pleasure to have you along for this ride. And may you really experience conversion because, like, I know I can hear it in Scott's heart that he's converting his heart. Um, I'm not yet, but that's that's <laughs> <laughs> you'll get there, father. I'll get there. Thanks. Um, Someday. So we. Yeah, we love you guys. We look forward to uh, having you together when we're back in the flesh together mm. in the studio. Um, I'm wearing my Liturgical Institute shirt today. Shout out to the liturgy nice. guys. And, um, nice. Well I, done. I, I, it's I a comfy shirt. It, it is, and I was using it for street cred about, uh, among the priests around here. Well done. Well done. Okay, God bless oh, you. Thank right. you for listening, my friends. We'll see you next week. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. You can find the Lanky Guys at lankyguys.org, and you can send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.